The Mining Your Business podcast is back with yet another solo episode. Now, how are you doing, Jakob? I'm doing very, very nice, Patrick. Thank you. I'm not sure about you, man, but in my free time, I totally daydream about process mining and all the things that it could be applied for, don't you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> From realistic to plain silly use cases, we have five process ideas that are a little bit more unusual than your typical P2P. Shall we get into it? Let's do it, man. Hello, everyone. Um, Patrick, so <laughs> I'm a little bit hungover, and you know what it means. <laughs> it's time for a solo episode, right? It's time for a solo <laughs> episode, exactly. This is usually, uh, if you're listening to us for the first time, well, we are not usually recording hangover, but uh, sometimes it just happens. And since uh, Patrick, my dear colleague, is leaving to uh, the US, to our US office, um, actually in like two days from now, right? Yeah, two days. Yeah, so... Um, I think he was celebrating with the with the German office. Unfortunately, I am from Czech Republic and also live here, so I couldn't attend. But uh, Patrick, how was the farewell? And especially, how did you enjoy being now here in Germany again and now flying back to the US? Um, the farewell is tonight. I had a different engagement last night, so ah. so it's it's back to back, which I am looking forward to, but. Probably not tomorrow. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, yeah, um, it's it's exciting, obviously. Um, going back to the to the U.S. office and seeing all the dear colleagues over there again and spending some quality time yeah, with them. Yeah. Uh, once you get there, so uh, for everyone who listens to us again for the first time or doesn't know us, we have an office in Austin, Texas. And I've been visiting Patrick before. Uh, it's, first of all, an amazing city, uh, great people in there as well. And what I wanted to say, Patrick, have some, have some taco for me. <laughs> you, know, you know I will. You know yeah. I will. Great tacos in, in Texas, really. Uh, <laughs> if, if you never had that, uh, you should probably go to Texas just for that. Um, and, I, and I mean it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I knew that as soon as you didn't have a script prepared for the intro, you're going to start rambling about tacos. I <laughs> yeah. saw it coming. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, everything just ends up with taco. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, uh, I did not write the script uh, that much. Um, I also wanted to say that... Um, I'm actually going on holiday in, in one day, so we are kind of uh, getting ahead with the schedule and with recording before Patrick leaves and everything. And um, yeah, we wanted to come up with uh, something a little less serious than we usually are. I mean, we were talking about acquisitions of, of uh, Microsoft recently. We had uh, people from Skoda telling us about their uh, process mining initiative. We talked about Python and all this all this stuff. And we thought, you know, let's take it a little lighter this time. Let's let's look at the something interesting, something that doesn't really fit the fit the fold that much. And we thought, for a very long time, actually, I had this idea in my head that we should do an episode about some weird, interesting use cases that you wouldn't really thought of because everybody is just so preoccupied with you know, with this business processes, with purchasing. Yeah, P2P or order to cash, you know, the usual suspects. Yeah, you know, and, and then I was uh, just talking to Patrick and pitching him this idea. Uh, so, dude, do you want to do, uh, do, do an episode on accounts payable? Or do you just want to talk about crazy use cases in process mining? And he just looked at me, are you even asking me this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was the fastest uh, decision I've ever come to, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, so if you guys are interested in accounts payable, I think it has to wait a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's in the pipeline, it's coming, but uh, I think this was, uh, this was an easy, easy, uh, easy choice. I think and, so. And, um, you know, s uh, saying that, uh, we will uh, dive into uh, five uh, interesting use cases that we think process mining could be applied of it goes from um why don't we do that yet to okay this is probably stupid but it's just so much fun <laughs> that we want to discuss it anyway <laughs> exactly why aren't they doing ah that's why they're not doing yeah, it. That makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> yeah also the difficulty could be uh, all you know through the roof at some uh, for for some cases but uh we will talk about it anyway because we just want you to get your imagination also uh you know through the roof um so we picked a couple of criterias that we will be discussing uh, for each of these use case. And uh, to tell you a bit more about this, uh, so we will start with the obvious question, why is this interesting? Obviously, not everything you want to put into a process mining, uh, you know, analysis or dashboards. 
And uh, that's why we want to kind of uh, brief you in on uh, why this use case that we picked could be interesting and what added value could it actually bring. Absolutely. And it should also be noted the the suge- or the five things that we're talking about came from you guys. So we got some suggestions. And um, yeah, the, this is based on that. We obviously added a little bit of our own. But um, so please get in touch and give us more ideas. We always like <laughs> to incorporate this into our shows. So Exactly. Um, so the next criteria will be uh, like what problem could it solve? Because at the end of the day, you don't do process mining just for the for the sake of it, right? You you yeah. want to kind of get some interesting insights into problem that you're trying to solve. Um, the next one uh, that's probably more technical. Uh, what would be the case ID? So for yeah, you, like what's the one thing that we're following through the process? What's the one thing that's building a process? What's related to the what the activities are relating to? What's the central core case that we're looking at? Exactly. That would be your invoice, your purchase order, your sales order. Or uh, you'll, you'll, you'll know it. Yeah, you'll, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Use cases. Obviously, once you have the process mining in place, you want to you wanna take a look at uh, what would it actually bring? What would you measure? How would you build your reports and around what? So that's definitely interesting. And what might be also interesting are the dimensions. Um, again, you will hear uh, our ideas about that because if you're looking at the standard business processes, you will split it by business organization, by company codes and whatnot. And in our use cases, the splits might be even more entertaining. (laughs) Yes. And of course, um, there are some challenges with these use cases. Of course, they're a little bit out there. So one, there's an unfamiliarity with getting data into these, these structures, right, that we're not familiar with. And obviously, there's some overall difficulty associated with just how you get the data, right? That, that's always a challenge with the typical ERP systems. This is fairly easy. But with the use cases that we're going to be talking about, this could be a little bit more difficult to do. And ov- obviously, the last part, what who would pay for it, right? <laughs> because at the end of the day, having a process mining initiative is a big endeavor, right? So obviously, it needs to pay off or someone needs to fund it. Someone needs to you know, think that this is worth it to do. So the question is... Who would, who would pay for it? Yeah, but we will leave these questions, uh, especially with the overall difficulty and with the challenges to academia. Uh, I know that there are a lot of academics uh, listening to us. Maybe they will get some ideas for their thesis. Um, <laughs> and, you know, who would pay for it? Uh, we all know that there are free process mining tools also on the market. We interviewed at least one of the founders of such such tool. Um, so, uh, yeah, just go learn Python and use process mining tools that are already available. Absolutely. Shall we? Shall we kick it off? We we shall, Patrick. What's the first one? Um, the first one is American football. The kickoff to touchdown, or however you like to call it. We were thinking about um, looking at the American football genre, and in there, looking at individual ball movements. Can you explain a little bit? Oh yeah. So first of all, this idea actually came from our colleague uh, Nicholas Müller. He was also on the podcast uh, all the way back, all those episodes back. Um, but, uh, I think this is, for me, this is, uh, like, I would say no brainer in terms of why this is not a thing yet. So if you ever followed American sports and be it basketball, be it baseball or, or American football, um, you would quickly find out how crazy Americans are about data. They are analyze, analyzing everything. Seriously, everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is the third dunk from a person named Marcus who has a <laughs> grandmother called Dorothy who was born in Connecticut or something. Like they, yeah, they have stats yeah. <laughs> to the like that you can't believe, right? So there's a ton, a ton of data. And also why I think it's so interesting is that there's also so much money in yeah. in, in this sport, right? So yeah. and teams are already spending tons on data analysis and trying to get the edge if you can kind of see a a quality or a um an insight that could give you like a two percent edge in in some play i mean wouldn't you do it yeah 100 percent. and i just wanted to mention speaking of this data i remember last year there were in in last season there was this i think a guy played a guy with the same name uh there was a quarterback and then some some defensive player and there was a statistics that this is the first time ever that uh the guy with the same names uh, got like all these, uh, you know, um, fumble and uh, the tackle and uh, <laughs> pick and everything. 
the, 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 the defensive player just did everything for the quarterback, which is just crazy, crazy wow. likelihood. Um, yeah. Anyhow, speaking of um, the, the, the why it's interesting. So I think um, I, I was trying to do a little research on that and I didn't find any, any uh, paper or any study on application of process mining in American football. I did find a study on European soccer, on European football, um, but not American one. Why? Well, one of the reasons I, I was thinking um, was that maybe, you know, process mining kind of rooted and started in Europe and it's just getting US. So maybe they just didn't jump on that just yet, or maybe it's just not really out on the internet. Uh, who knows? However, um, the interesting part for me is that, um, as we mentioned, um, the, uh, the, the, the guys in the US, the analytics, they love their data. And I think all the data is pretty much already available. And how I picture this uh, is that you would basically track every action in uh, offensive action in uh, in the league. So what would be the case ID for me would be the ball movement. You know, uh, if you ever watched American football, a quarterback picks up picks up the ball um, or doesn't actually. That's also one of the one of the <laughs> cases, right? Happen, yeah. yeah, also can happen. Um, and you would basically track whatever whatever happens to the ball from the moment the referee or the, the snap starts. So from the moment the center snaps the ball to the quarterback, all the way until its end of the play. And, you know, this is when it gets interesting because uh, when you're attacking, you basically have three downs. So this is one of your first, um, first dimensions. You would uh, see like, what is your first down uh, happy path? What is your second down happy path? What is your third down happy path? And then you snap the ball, your, your, uh, your process starts, and then you see, okay, quarterback picks up the ball. He, uh, and then all these variations start. Like in 70% of cases, he just hands it over to his running back. Uh, however, in 30 or 25% of cases, he is actually throwing the ball. And then it's just that the tree just goes crazy because if he's throwing the ball, he can, he can actually, uh, you know, he can be tackled and go down. He can also um, throw the ball and it would result in an incomplete. Or he throws the ball to his wide receiver who picks it up and just, you know, runs for the touchdown. And then, you know, uh, your ideal path is that you every action should end up with a touchdown, right? That's that's, uh, that's the perfect scenario unless you have one minute to go in, in the game and you're up 20. Uh, and you just want to, the, the time to run out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think this is also really, really interesting because in this case, I think the the outcomes or weighing the outcomes of these specific um, paths is incredibly important because there you might look at, okay, I have 99% go through through this path, but it's the 1% out, outliers where, for example, the center snaps, quarterback fumbles the ball, the defense recovers, and you have a touchdown scored on yourself, right? Or yeah. you have a safety or something, something that doesn't usually happen, but it is detrimental to any drive in the game, right? So yeah. it's that 80-20 rule, but like a little bit more specific, right? So looking at these outliers and maybe also what contributed to these outliers um, yeah. could be very interesting to look at. Yeah, I think if you were analyzing then the dimensions uh, that you're looking at, and I already mentioned like uh, that the, the number of down that you're playing, but also a quarter, if you know American football is played in quarters. And as you are closing out on the game, the, the stakes get higher uh, and, you know, the pressure gets on. So maybe it would be interesting also to look at, okay, maybe against this specific team uh, on, a, on a home game, they are specifically vulnerable at the end of second quarter because their, their focus just goes down and they just want to go to the locker rooms already. And maybe if we expose them for this specific action, because, you know, their defense is already all wor worn out, mm -hmm. this could be resulting in a higher uh, conversion ratio. And this is ultimately this 2% edge battery that you were mentioning. And these, these dimensions, I, I can think of so many. You could look at the... Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's so interesting because you wrote down QBRB wide receiver. And I think it's, it's a really good point because there's such a vast amount of combinations of players that you can put yeah. in, right? So, yeah. I mean, your quarterback's usually going to be the same person, right? But you can always see when players are a little bit, you know, they've run like seven downs already and they're tired, you switch them out, right? What combination of players and what combination of plays works well against this particular defense setup, right? So yeah. there's a whole bunch of variability in every single play that you do. 
Exactly. But thankfully, there are so many plays that are happening every season that um, you can probably for or synthesize some sort of trend out there and yeah. figuring that optimum combination, that optimum play to run in that moment, in these weather conditions, in your home stadium or away, right? Getting all these dimensions and figuring out if I do this, I have a 2% better chance of making yeah. it seven more yards than if I would to do this play, right? Yeah. yeah. No brainer. It, it would be super interesting. It might be difficult to translate this into like follow-up seasons because the teams just change so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you could make a point that if you were looking at, say, at the performance of a quarterback of a specific quarterback and just measured, let's say that you only measure his performance over the years and see how he evolves, you could see like uh, from year to year, um, whether he inclines to running a specific play, whether he inclines to, let's say, you know, in process money, you can measure the throughput times, whether the, the time that he holds the ball after the snap is after a certain certain um, point is just detrimental to the result of the whole play. Maybe yep. he just should uh, should do something with it uh, a, a fourth of the second faster or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and that could also lead to maybe saying, well, your wide receivers aren't being getting open down the field, so he has less or more time to really find one. That could result in more sacks, or he needs to scramble out of the pocket more. And there's a whole bunch of um, a leading or um, you know, effects that come from a, such a simple calculation. Okay, my throughput time from snap to throw is l- longer in my QB than most teams. That has consequences. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I, I would love to see process mining use case on on, uh, on NFL. I think, uh, I honestly think that this is uh, the future. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> uh, please don't quote me on that. <laughs> Um, and if, if you, you know, if you think that this is also a great idea and eventually put some effort into it, uh, and, and trying to come up with something, just, just let us know, because I would, I would so much love to see this. And, uh, then I would be like, I told you so guys, this was the great (laughs) idea. Now we should probably talk about the difficulty as well. I mean, it is actually surprising how much data there is out there. I mean, you can track player stats all the way from their college days all the way to, to right now. The, the games also have um, up-to-date, really real-time um, data that is being recorded about these games, right? And obviously, not to mention all the replays that you can watch to really, you know, yeah. scrub the data and actually get this stuff out of there. So um, the access to data and I think it's already in a pretty good spot because, um, like we already mentioned, data analysis does take place for for large teams and things like that already. So um, this wouldn't be that big of a stretch to do, I think. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Again, the obsession with the data is already in there and we would just feed them with yet another way that they will look at it. And again, if you saw the movie Moneyball, it's actually about baseball, but uh, I guess you get the Concepts point. Concepts apply here, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's again just a new way of looking at at the data. And uh, who's to say that this wouldn't be successful? And again, 2% in these uh, 2% edge, uh, or maybe even less, is still an edge that in such a competitive environment where the teams are basically all equal and at any point of time, any team can beat any other team. Um, yeah. We see it every season. Uh, this could make all the difference. So in my opinion, um, it's just a matter of time before somebody introduces it and then everybody will be like, why didn't we do it earlier? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the there's, there's definitely a use case for it. There's definitely a strategic value um, from it. And so... Yeah, and uh, before we move to the next one, I also think that this uh, idea of process mining could be applied to many sports, actually. I, I can think of tennis, you know, every every uh, surf, and I'm sorry, I'm so good on tennis terminology, uh, <laughs> but every surf could be a specific process. In soccer, maybe as well. So if you, let's say, if you start with every, every, every game or something and see what do you end up with, um, you know, could be also interesting. Absolutely. I mean, there's some that are not suited, like track and field, like the 100 meter dash, like gun goes off and there's a throughput time of 9.86 seconds before you're in the goal and yay. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Anyway, I love that the data analytics is just so much rooted into sports and that sports is producing so many interesting data sets um, that, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And I'm just looking forward for these technologies to be applied there as well. Absolutely. 
Shall we move on to the next one? Let's do it. I think we spent uh, a big chunk of our episodes already yeah. in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. So the next topic we wanted to talk about, and that's also dear to my heart, is music production, right? So what does music production really entail? Well, it usually involves an artist. It, re- revolves, it involves some sort of a recording session and some sort of mixing and studio um, you know, magic and then some sort of release usually coupled with some marketing, some merchandise and things like that. You know, that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm being very, very um, reductive here, but that, that's usually the, the, the core of it, right? So why is it interesting? Well, we would like to know, I mean, every big artist or every artist and every studio would like to know, hey, I'm spending a lot of money making the song. I would like it to be successful. Is there anything that could tell me if a song will become successful or not? Right. Right. That's why it's interesting. So what you're saying is that you would be trying to optimize your way of releasing your music uh, so that it makes the biggest possible splash on the market. Correct. uh, Correct. So, I mean, this is this is obviously a very subjective field. Music is very subjective in its nature. Um, So figuring out um, the release strategy is one part, but also song structure. Right. You could um, have that as dimensions, like what type of song am I writing? Am I writing a big love ballad? Am I writing a summer jam? <laughs> am I writing a country song? You know, it could be anything, right? But in figuring out what to do in these specific cases um, to make it a success is, 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 I think, pretty big. So it should basically confirm my theory that if you release a Christmas song in the middle of the summer, you might not really succeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. That you're, you're onto something here, I think. Well, I think we need to dive a little bit Christmas. deeper on that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's so, July. <laughs> and it literally is just July right now. So <laughs> Exactly. So get ready for Jakub's uh, Christmas jingles. Yeah, I think I think maybe we can find a loop in the market. Maybe if we just do that, people get <laughs> yeah. excited and they're like, I Poorly like that, you songs, know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just six months since Christmas. Uh, actually, well, seven. But uh, you Well, I point. mean, then again, this is one of those things. Um, you know the cliche, you go into a supermarket in November, October, and they're already starting to blast Christmas music, right? So there's, it's not just, hey, it's December, it's time for Christmas. No, no, this starts way beforehand, right? And if you want to crunch out a churn out a Christmas song, when do you need to start by latest? Like, how long does it take to write a Christmas song? I mean, this is one of those things. Do you really want the artist to take their time with it, or you just want to crank out the most formulaic um, Christmas jingle you've ever heard that'll trend, right? Yeah. It would be also interesting to categorize this into different buckets, like uh, who, what, what, first of all, I mean, the music style, that's, that's the obvious one. But also, like, um, you know, in, in standard business processes, you always have these amounts. Uh, so, you know, how what is the total amount of an invoice or something? Um, in here, you could, for instance, measure a number of listens. Or uh, yeah. another dimension of interest that comes into my, my head is, like, whether the music group is already established or whether it's their first ever song. Um, mm-hmm. What market they are in, I think that the, the song production will be very different, uh, you know, from Germany, Czech Republic all the way to, I don't know, Vietnam or something. So mm-hmm. um, uh, these types of inputs would be vital for the production. Uh, you could also, for example, look at what production company is helping you with, because maybe some are more likely to succeed than not. Obviously, it would probably go hand in hand that the bigger the music group, the more established the music group, the more the lessons they get because they already are on the market. But mm-hmm. it would be very interesting to see are those, those rare cases, those uh, rare unicorns, that produce the first song and the song just goes viral. This yeah. is exactly what I would like to analyze. Like, what is the magic, uh, the, the, what are the magic beans for that, right? <laughs> what is the formula uh, that some songs just got it and some don't? And you could argue that the difference between them is uh, non-existent. On the other hand, you might be missing everything else because, you know, music production is a complex topic. It's not just the song. It's everything else. If you have a strong brand, strong social media, you know, you take a picture with some uh, famous guy on Instagram and your song is suddenly um, going to be trending. Or, you know, we are living in a, in a, in a times of reels and TikToks and what, whatnot. And you never know if some famous, uh, famous influencer is going to put uh, a stupid video with, with your song in it. 
and your song's just going to go crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think you'll be surprised to find how many artists have uh, had a failed music career under a completely different name and just paid a lot of money to rebrand and redo and then just start over and then make it big, right? So there's... um. There are some some pitfalls here, and I think a lot of it has to do with, um, of course, money. Like, how much money can you stick into this? You know, it's, there's a difference between somebody from a um, more established um, in the music industry family and that has the connections versus someone that's making music in their bedroom, right? Yeah. These are two completely different starting points. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Patrick, who would pay for it? <laughs> well, I mean, if you could, if you told the production companies, Hey, I have this tool that would let you analyze your entire catalog. And with a 90% chance, you'll probably hit the billboard 100. If you, if you find the formula, then, you know, who wouldn't want to pay for that? And I mean, there's tons of people that would love to crank out nothing but formulaic, formulaic songs that kind of reach the billboard top 100. I mean, there's a lot of money in that. Yeah. Give us a million dollars. We'll do it for you. <laughs> exactly. and the data and some data scientists as well <laughs> yeah i mean the only challenge is of course um breaking down such a subjective um such a subjective thing into into data right because how do you why do you love careless whisper Yaku? Oh, why do i <laughs> exactly so who doesn't love careless whisper man <laughs> <laughs> exactly you can't really put your finger on it right it's yeah. um, so it's it's um it's not really quantifiable in a way. There are some markers, of course, what chord progressions and things like that you use. But um, in the end, you don't want to make a tool that just says, build this one song in this exact same formula because songs about are also about exploring and making new things. So formulaic songs are also maybe not the best. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this is music production. I think we should move to the next point. But before we do, Patrick, I'm just going to tell you that I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm never going to dance again. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> All right, up next, Farm Yield. And this is actually uh, uh, something that we have been discussing in our second episode about what is process mining to a certain degree, right? So if you mm -hmm. remember our what is process mining episode, which interestingly is our most viewed, more, most listened to episode yeah. ever by far. Like it's, it's crazy. I guess, or magnum uh, opus, you could say. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah, that's a very nice word. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, Patrick, for being yeah, so welcome. smart. <laughs> yeah, stop it. Okay, so farm yields. Why, why talk about farm yields? Why is that interesting? And what do we mean by farm yields, right? I just kind of slapped that on there as a, as a title, but what I'm talking about is um, the whole farming industry, right? We, we have a limited amount of land, right? We have limited resources. We have limited water. We want to reduce pesticides and all these things. But at the end of the day, we want to get as much crop yield from our farmlands as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So food production is incredibly vital to any functioning economy, in my opinion. It's, that's not really <laughs> a controversial take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so having that down and figuring out what um, results in the best yields is obviously a very, very interesting point. What would you actually track in this case? Would it be like the seed or would it be like... Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the seed would be interesting just because you could see very interesting things when you do it on a seed level. It's just the problem is just data collection on that <laughs> point. So what I was thinking, you could track plots of farmland, right? Because farmers have different plots of land that are on different hills and, um, you know, um, separated by fences and things like that. And they grow different crops on different fields, right? So you could track a plot of farmland. Mm -hmm. Right, and there you could track the sun exposure, the how much you water it, the the rainfall over the season, the the pesticides that you use, the timeline of it all. Right, so when you plant the seed, right, because I I I don't know if you know this, but I mean farmers have like so much knowledge about how they get the most out of their land, right? But it's like such old-timey knowledge a lot of the times, like things that were passed down from generations to generations. So when you see three crows crossing from east to west at 5 a.m. on a Sunday in Easter or something, that's when you know you need to go out and, and plant some, right? So it's just like really, really old knowledge that is probably accurate, right? They know what they're doing. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. But maybe there's more quantifiable um, data that tells us when the optimum time is to to really plant the seed. Yeah, yeah, uh, Patrick. I do come from a long line of farmers. Uh, yeah, same. <laughs> uh, so I know what you're talking about. I did work in agriculture when I was younger. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, 
good times, good times. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I completely get it. And what would be interesting is always, I love the time dimension, right? So um, how long is the optimal way under what circumstances to, to get the, 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 the highest yield? Um, should you already like um, best decided today or should you just wait another day or two so that you actually uh, achieve this optimal performance? And I'm sure that there are uh, uh, that, that there are like stations or um, research uh, laboratories that are looking at this in a very um, lab-like conditions. But uh, it, with process mining, if you were, if it was possible to track this uh, with some with some data set, and this actually brings me to the challenge, because it's not so easy to track uh, the farm, uh, the, the plots of farmland. Um, and uh, you know, compile it in uh, a, a digestible data set. Um, but if you could do that, if you figure out uh, some smart way on how to how to tackle this, um, you could have a sample uh, in a real life and not really in a laboratory. So you could actually start making these points about the sunshine, about the the, the rainfall, and so on. And uh, Look, okay, so maybe if I, on this farmland, if I uh, switch every two years the type of crops that I'm, I'm seeding here, maybe it's going to result in something better than what I've been doing now with uh, changing it every year. Uh, you could also start looking into some, um, uh, you know, data like... Uh, what type of crop would you change there? And, uh, you know, eventually just you're looking to optimize the way of uh, what you're going to get out of it. And uh, again, th I think this itself makes the, the, the case for our farm yield uh, process. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those things that um, I think some of the years do, and I've seen them do this or talk about it at least, where they say, yeah, this grape was grown on this hill and it was harvested this and then, but the grape that's on the next hill tastes like so much different because it gets more sun in the evenings and and things like that right so there's a if they say and if you believe it if there is such a difference and it really does make a difference in the yields and the the flavor and all these things then it does really make sense to really go that granular into your your crop setups yeah i i still bet that at the end of the day you would have like this uh this old guy who's been farming for 40 years and you'd be like this is this is bullcrap. Yeah, this is complete garbage. No let's way. just throw it away. I I'm just gonna watch this. the birds <laughs> to tell me when to go out and sow my yeah. seeds. You know what is this? Are you using technology to to create a super you know uh, Bordeaux wine or something? Exactly. <laughs> no, on, and I mean it. It, it goes on. to show like you don't want to obviously replace um, that knowledge, right? That's worth gold, right? That's what's been feeding us for the last hundreds, thousands of years, right? So um, you you would likely want to complement that skill set with with tools like these right and again farming has been around for almost as long as humanity um yeah. or modern society uh which well actually allowed it so <laughs> yeah uh, but i'm not going to go into history because then i could very uh, quickly could be exposed on my uh, uh <laughs> lack of knowledge, knowledge. Yes, lack of let's knowledge. not go there let's <laughs> not, not go, go there, there. <laughs> um the point is that uh, farming has been um, a focus of optimization of humanity for so long. You know, you mm. had all kinds of improvements over over these hundreds of hundreds of years, um, and uh, the technology hit it also pretty pretty hard. Uh, I mean, it's not that long when uh, over fifty percent of all uh, all the all the population was working in agriculture. And now, if I'm not mistaken, in developed countries, it's what like less, less, less than four percent, probably even less. Oh wow! Um, which is crazy because you know, through the technology advances, uh, suddenly we don't need to to send uh, hundreds and hundreds of people onto the onto the farmland uh, because all we need is one automated uh, machine or or uh, some tractor or uh, you know, you are we are starting using uh, these. Uh, how's it called? The things drones. drones, exactly. <laughs> um, and why not taking it to the next step with the data analytics? I'm sure that there is already a bunch of ways that, that they are analyzing their crops, and maybe process mining could be a next in line. Oh, that'd be such a cool idea to have an automated drone schedule that just goes and takes pictures of your crops and analyzes like how much they've grown and things like that. Oh, dude, this is a thing. This is already yeah, a thing. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, uh, out of interest, I know that there are there are companies that like uh, get these uh, data from um, the satellites, satellites, 
and they can like uh, analyze uh, the or the you know some some scenarios of countries and how well the crops gonna gonna go that year because of how the how the um, visuals look like, and then they can make like uh, some bets on it in terms of I don't know trading or something you know what's gonna be uh, a price of a bushel of corn or so <laughs> and oh, this wow. is just crazy oh, wow. like there are so many possibilities with the daytime what you could do with it that it just i think my tiny little brain just can't really uh yeah. you know work with that i think it's also important to, to mention you know due to climate change the crop yields and things will be more of a thing you know the soil will be stressed harder the the crops will need to go through higher temperatures and so you know having that extra edge that might get you through some incredibly dry periods or something would also probably be really really helpful but at the same time look at the countries like netherlands i think netherlands is one of the biggest producer of of vegetables in the world which is you know just look at how yeah netherlands dude Okay, you, uh, I, I learned so much on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, dude, farming. <laughs> I'm telling <laughs> you, and uh, you know, it's because that they, they are using the the, the technical advancement uh, for their own good, and uh, maybe they're also using process mining. Who knows what's uh, Vin van der Last is up to in Netherlands? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. We're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on? Let's move on. All right, so this one's a bit of a somber one. Um, we were thinking about, in the field of sociology, um, my, maybe looking at the life-to-death process would be fairly interesting. I mean, humans are such, a, such weird creatures, and they go through a whole host of different activities, you could, you could call it, right? So different parts of their life, you know, um, school and work, and, you know, you, you marry or you have a partner or you don't, and, you know, that results in different paths in your life right? There's a whole, I mean, it's incredibly complex, right? So there's not one thing that you could really point to and say, this will predict your life or anything, but there are probably a lot of common um, denominators in all of our lives that we might want to look at. What would the happy path look like? <laughs> oh, well, that's, uh, again, also very subjective. You probably want a very long cycle time, you know, a yeah, very, very yeah. long, as long as you can get it, really. Um, yeah. That that would be a good happy path, you know. Yeah, this is this is just really an idea. I think it's a little, it's just a wild idea that uh, it would be pretty cool to observe some uh, relations, uh, like what does happen when you do a certain uh, turn in life. And I'm not necessarily talking about you know taking or doing some hard drugs, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> Maybe, you know, how likely you are to, to end up, I don't know, studying in a university based on not necessarily the country, because there are obviously statistics for that, but in a, in a city or in, let's say, how many um, uh, brothers or sisters you got to have to do a certain, certain step in life to, again, maybe the university uh, success ratio and stuff like that. So you could... If you if you uh, don't look at it from the wide perspective that you're really tracking everything that happens from the moment you're born until the moment you die, and you look for some some specific uh, sociolo- sociological uh, use cases um, of analyzing the life key choices and the impact on them on or impact on your overall happiness or likelihood of uh, becoming something specific or actually not ending up in some specific situ- situation, uh, this could be very interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that would be interesting would be looking at um, rework rate, like how many times do you go through specific activities? <laughs> and I know we were joking about this before the show, but um, if you reach the, the death activity um, <laughs> and you accidentally do that twice because they mistakenly buried you or something, I think that would be a um, funny outlier to see. Yeah, 100%. So um, they, we have here a Mr. Jesus who died and then he just... Uh, <laughs> Started to walk yeah. again. What's up with that? Can exactly. you look at that case? <laughs> so at the age exactly. of 33, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, crucified and then three days later emerges from a cave. I mean, that's that's a crazy So outlier. I guess when you crucify a person, they're just going <laughs> to... Okay, let's, let's, let's stop the, where this is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We told you this is going to be a wild one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, but um, I think yeah. it's I think it's a very interesting use case. Just I mean, specifically if you would if you're looking at it from a governmental side, if you were to imagine how do I get my my constituents to to study, right? A well educated populace is beneficial to to everybody when they study medicine or anything else really. 
Um, so how do I get them to do that? Is there a specific sequence of um, when you introduce kids to math or something that kind of determines what fields they're interested in? I mean, it, you could yeah. analyze this um, forwards and backwards a thousand times. So Imagine you start using this to optimize taxes or something. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, and by yeah. the way, speaking of taxes and government, uh, one of the use cases that didn't make the cut was actually my idea on uh, looking at the at the pools. Uh, so um, whenever pools? you know you're yeah you're choosing the new government poll pool, polls got it. Polls, yes. Sorry, I I am really my pronunciation on this one is just uh, you know English. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Um, and I was I was uh, a joking. Uh, I guess now it's not so funny because of the war and everything. But you know when you have uh, a polls in a, in a, a country with the dictatorship, and you could just look at those manual touches after the the, <laughs> the, 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 the rooms are closed, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, so here a box of the of the votes was opened, uh, manually touched, and uh, there were some changes from. Uh, from uh, A to B, uh, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure uh, dictators would appreciate that level of transparency. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it still cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, shall we go on to our final oh, use yeah. case? Oh yeah. Um, so I know you're waiting for this one. I am waiting for. You were this. texting me last night and giggling. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be honest, I uh, really went wild on this one. Um, don't be offended. Uh, maybe we should make this episode explicit. Uh, I don't know. Let's, <laughs> let's see about that. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's a dating process, right? So we all are subjected to dating other, uh, you know, uh, men, women, whatever. And I think it would be so interesting to just analyze this process from start to end. Have the like use the sample who use the data set of all the dates that are happening throughout the world and try to find and just look into patterns. And it would be just so, so funny to to look at these things because um, you know, your case ID would probably be the the date uh or a partner, depends really. I think the date would be you could make points for both because the partner, then you see how many dates he went on and so on. But if it's just a date... Um, I, yeah, I think that'd be interesting because, well, you could look at how you go from, if you date someone, how that like that how that how goes, right? But what if you date multiple people at the same time? Uh, but then you would have huh? then you would have like multiple cases for your person. So imagine that your, your mm. dimension, there would be, a, you know, Patrick Bogner, and mm. you would select the cases you know that uh uh the patrick bogner goes on and then the the case id would consist of you and the case id of your partner and you would have like multiple cases there and you could see okay how successful you are there you would see mm. that one only case that you have right <laughs> <laughs> i knew this was gonna end in yeah. ridicule <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, uh I, I hope you're following us on this one and uh, i had so many ideas that you could you could uh, like like measure I was, when I actually came up with this idea, uh, I was yesterday in a cafe when I was uh, after work preparing this episode. And there was a, a table of, of uh, two young ladies sitting next to me and they were just giggling all the time. They were drinking, I think, some drinks and everything. And at some point they just went on, on Tinder, uh, the dating app, and they were just scrolling through guys and making uh, stupid comments. And I just couldn't stop, stop laughing, right? And then I thought... This is a great idea. You could make uh, <laughs> you could make a swipe to sex process out of this. <laughs> swipe to sex process. Oh my god! Yeah, just just hang with me and and. Uh... <laughs> okay, this. Uh... I, I mean, you. It's it, as funny as it is. I think it's it brings up a good point. You know, dating and and uh, marriage and just general partners in life, right? Um, I think we could all agree that most people seek companionship, um, in whatever form that may be. And having some sort of um, analytical insight about what determines the success and failure of these partnerships is, I think, from a sociological point of view, very interesting. Yeah. And maybe not call it swipe to sex. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Patrick, you're trying to trim this uh, too much. I think. Yeah, I think I'm trying to not place. have the explicit flag on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, but uh, overall, again, the throughput times, uh, how, what is the impact <laughs> of, <laughs> what is the impact of, uh, of someone waiting with a certain activity for a certain time 
um, the dimensions, right? Uh, you could finally make a, make a point whether uh, a money or looks actually matter or whether it's uh, um, something else. I can take this one. They do. <laughs> <laughs> How would you know? <laughs> well, you know, being so wealthy and so good looking, I can definitely <laughs> confirm this is true. Um, I think I can't believe you put birth sign on this list. It was the first thing that came up to my mind because I was just discussing it uh, with, with with someone the day before and uh, and she was like asking me what birth sign. Well, why would you care? Does yeah. it even matter? Yeah, and but imagine, was, yeah, it but totally that'd be matters. so interesting though. Imagine that it was actually significant, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe Tauruses really do go well with Libras or something. Yeah. Who, who knows? <laughs> yeah, or other things. Obviously, H is the easy one. The, mm. the the common interests you have together. So maybe, maybe if you are just like the other, maybe it's not the best thing to, to date or yeah. who knows. Or the source of the date, I already mentioned Tinder. Maybe, you know, uh, you would find out that dating colleagues, not the best thing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think it's also interesting to for, for governments, right? Because you can see it in a lot of governments having um, population declines, right? And there's initiatives to try and get people to date, you know, and, you know, have kids and things like that, right? So there's an actual use case for this in in a way. How do you get people to date? How do you get people to successful dates, right? Yeah, this yeah. is actually a, um, as, as, as funny as this is, this is actually, I think, a, a very good use case. Yeah, I think uh, by talking about applying uh, dating in process mining is not going to increase our, our chances on this. Uh, but, no, uh, <laughs> no. So I think one of the challenges that I wanted to highlight, because this, this came to my mind as I was reading this, and as you were texting me, I was thinking about, tracking this data i mean this is obviously a massive invasion of privacy if i've is ever it? seen nah. yeah a little bit but i mean also if you just do a personal tracking just imagine that um and sorry honey sorry i have to interrupt this this session i um, i must log my kiss and my bi tool you know it's not that uh it's not that uh you know doesn't really set the mood yeah, you would just anonymize it and it would be fine. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. People would love their government to have some sort oh, of information man. about their <laughs> about their um, very intimate details. No, uh, oh man, uh, this I really, really like this use case, uh, and I think it would just be hilarious tracking <laughs> this. Um, however, um, we also came up with uh, some other use cases that didn't really make the cut into discussing them into the depth, uh, such as. Some of them are actually already being implemented. There are the environmental processes, like uh, what impact does uh, I don't know um, your your supply chain has on a certain on on a environmental criteria. Uh, we already mentioned the government wasting our money. Uh, what's the process <laughs> of that? <laughs> Maybe yeah, that would that would be. There's a lot of interest in the process of a government wasting our money. Yeah, yes. especially coming from the governments, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we already, I, I would love to actually talk to someone who's applying process mining in a public sector because it's, uh, you know, it's hugely inefficient and I think it would be great because the data is also there. I mean, they're using ERP systems too and mm -hmm. analyzing this, um, thing would be tremendous, uh, and very, very insightful, um, compared to, you know, um, uh, private companies that are doing everything possible to optimize their, their, uh, processes. Maybe um, governmental um, subsidiaries could also think about something like that. Yeah, for sure. I think anybody who has been in, and I don't want to dig at anybody here. I'm sure there's reasons for this, but in the the German governmental system or signing up for a, um, when you go and live somewhere new or something and you have to change your address and that whole process, you wouldn't think should take as long as it does, but it does. Right. Yeah. And it's it's very frustrating to do. Right. You have to waste four hours of your day waiting in line, getting a ticket and all these things. Yeah. And you're wondering, why is this so inefficient? Right. I'm sure there's some reason, but I'm I'm fairly certain since there is no economic incentive really to optimize that a lot of optimization has been left in the dust. Yeah. And I mean, we've all been there. You know, you are waiting in a queue at uh, at uh, some some public space and then um you know, you, you finally, it's your turn and they say, yeah, we don't do this here. You have to go to the other, <laughs> the other building Lord. on the other side of the town where you're gonna, you know, take this form and fill it out. And then you can come back to us because before that, we can't really help you. And you're like, are you kidding? I yeah. just spent here four hours waiting in a queue and you telling me I have to do it over and over again. This is ridiculous. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that also, dri uh, I think drives a lot of people. Yeah. crazy just the the amount of paperwork you know we we're living in 2022 
and we're still doing a lot of things by paper when yeah. we really shouldn't. Well, one, it's wasteful and it's also inefficient. Yeah, calls for some OCR tool. Ooh. Ooh. Well, you, we know the trouble with OCR tools. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyhow, what I'm trying to say here is that there is just so many different things that you could be measuring and applying process mining for. Um, I recently saw this, uh, this uh, how's it pronounced? Poll? Pool? Poll. <laughs> Poll. <laughs> Sorry for that. A poll on, on uh, Selenis' uh, LinkedIn uh, profile where they were asking people how long they've been in process mining for. And uh, there was this very small subset, uh, less than 1% of people or, uh, you know, respondents who said one uh, more than 10 years. Then about 5% was between 5 and 10 years. And then everyone else was in process mining for less than five years. Um, I'm starting my year five, uh, actually, in, in a week. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say here is that there will be more and more and more use cases where process mining is going to find its way to. Because it's just a unique way of looking uh to the data, uh, the companies already understand that. And uh, if we think about it, almost anything that we're doing in our daily lives is some kind of a process. Mm. I mean, how you're doing your shopping, right? How are you cooking? I was, and so I was on. thinking about this yesterday, actually, when preparing for this episode. I was thinking, what if we do like a cooking process? But then I yeah. realized it's very close to like a production process in, in a company. <laughs> you need to check that you have stuff in your warehouse, aka your fridge. Then yeah. you need to go to the purchasing department, you know, go to the shopping and actually buy the stuff that you need. And yeah, it turned out to be very close to what um, companies are already doing. Exactly. And uh, almost any, um, any electronic device, uh, I, I know that some of the companies are already uh, experimenting with uh, implementing this process mining um, capabilities into electronic devices uh, as, a, as a starting point so that they can, you know, if something goes wrong, they can actually look into the logs and find out what was happening there. Mm. And I think it will be more and more present um, in in any data set, in any way that we work with the data. And uh, it will just be this this category that will accompany us on, on any data analytics journey that eventually uh, process mining will be implemented wherever and whenever it makes at least a little sense. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. And I think this is where you, dear listeners, come in. Uh, we would love to hear your ideas, right? So we have five um, ones that we, uh, that we just came up with, but we would love to hear from you. What are your interesting takes on what process mining could be used on, right? Because everyone has some hilarious idea or maybe some really, really interesting one that just hasn't been done. So we would love to hear from you and uh, love to see what you can come up with. Yeah, definitely uh, tag us on LinkedIn and uh, write us what is your idea. We would love to hear that or just comment under the under the link that we are posting ourselves um, or just uh, write us an email, uh, miningyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com and we would very, very much love to hear from you. Um, however, this is the end of the episode. I hope you had at least uh, half as much fun as we did because this was... <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> Doubtful, yeah. This was brilliant. Uh, and uh, if you made it all the way through up till here, thank you for that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Leave us a review on any tool that you're using. Uh, and uh, we'll be looking forward to hear from you. And we'll be here back in two weeks' time with yet another episode of Mining Your Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to us. And please stay us, stay with us. Bye-bye.